He's definitely an elite talent. If you're in a dynasty league, he's a first round, probably top five pick. If you're in a redraft, I wouldn't start looking at him until after the fifth round. You're now listening to the Boys in the Booth podcast with your hosts, Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 179 of the Boys in the Booth podcast. This time, Chad Melbourne joined by Casey Abrams and a special special guest, Kenny from Data Draft. No Harper Cody this episode. He's enjoying himself sipping pina coladas down south. Uh, so unfortunately, he couldn't make it. I don't think he's too torn up about that. But yeah, so here we go, guys. We're going to stumble our way through and uh, hopefully this will be a good one for, for the listeners because Kenny has joined us before in the past. He's been great. But before we get into that Casey how are you doing doing really good I had a super busy weekend celebrating a former multiple scorgasms players birthday Josh Smith we had a jam-packed day on Saturday that was great we got some great weather probably not as good as the weather as Harper and Carousel who funny enough they just lost the little league world series on the weekend as well and Harper's there so I don't it's just a weird connection I guess but yeah doing really good how about you Nice. Yeah, doing well. Uh, This is actually the first week of school for me again. So this is my last first week of school probably ever, I I think. You know, it it will be my last one. So uh, it's good. It's good. So I'm looking forward to getting this year over with. And like I mentioned last episode, got some good plans coming up, uh, going to see a a game in Arizona in in December. So really, I'm just looking forward to that and the uh, NHL season, which is about to start. And speaking of the NHL season, we're talking fantasy hockey today. That's what we're going to get into Kenny from Data Draft, uh, like I mentioned, has joined the podcast before. He knows everything fantasy hockey. He's uh, uh, he manages a YouTube page where he posts uh, almost daily videos talking about the the best things you need to know to become a better fantasy hockey manager. So, without further ado, let me introduce to you again for the second time, uh, Kenny from Data Draft. How you doing, man? Doing good. Really busy. This is the busy busy time of the year where we're getting ready for draft and uh, you know getting ready for the the rankings to come out, the tier lists and everything will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. But it's it's busy, but it's that's a good thing because hockey's going to start soon. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what I wanted to do just at the start of this episode, uh, we started it last week doing these little mini games, these rankings, and and that's exactly how I want to start this episode as well. So Kenny, I'm going to go to you with this. I want you to blindly rank these next five players and all five of these players who I'm going to mention were drafted in the top 20. So that's the first round of the Boys in the Booth Fantasy Hockey League last year. So I I'd like you to blindly rank these five players okay so the first one you have is jt miller one to five where do you rank him in terms of what because he's it, on my rankings he's the number two ranked player because he's extremely complete so he covers a little bit of everything he does you know a lot some hitting he does some shots he scores points he scores goals etc so he's very complete so if you were looking at completeness score that would be probably one or two depending on who else is in this list but it just depends on what you're looking for okay so why don't we do that completeness score using your uh data draft player hub so so that's what we'll do so is one or two where are you settling for jt miller i'll go one because there's only one guy ahead of him and that's austin matthews so if you're going to mention him then i'll drop him down but if not he'll he'll be the the top ranked guy 
Okay, and number two uh, out of this five, where are you ranking Andre Vasilevsky? Oof. He, so I've been, we've been doing, a, we did a community mock on Thursday. He went at 34, which is way too low. Uh, last year he was, I believe, seventh or eighth, which is too high. So I would put him sort of in that middle range where he should be like a mid-second rounder, early second rounder. I mean, depending on who else is in this list, I mean, I probably wouldn't put him too high because I tend to fade goalies a bit. So maybe we'll go with four just because I think that elite offensive producers are more impactful for your team than goaltending. But as far as goaltending goes, he's extremely consistent and you know what you're going to get. Right. And you'll recall last year, Harper picked Vasilevsky, I believe, seventh overall. And you and I both roasted him on the podcast. Uh, okay, so number three, uh, Roman Yossi. Where are you taking Roman Yossi? I I love Yossi. He's extremely complete. Um, you'll remember, I think it was two years ago, he was extremely close to hitting that 100-point mark that Carlson just went over. And that, I mean, if you forget about that, you would have him a little bit lower in your rankings. But if you remember that and if you understand that he does a lot more than just put up points, he does pretty much everything for that blue line, for that team, uh, I would put him probably at number three just because Miller's a little bit more complete just given what, what we're looking at. But Yossi is one of the top three, maybe four defensemen. Um, it would probably be Makar, Darlene, him, and then take your pick of the, the fourth guy, whether it's Carlson because of his offensive output or you know somebody else because of their completeness. But he's definitely a top five D. Okay, so two more. The next one I've got for you is Austin Matthews. Where are you ranking Austin Matthews? Yeah, he's got to be number one. And I think he's going to be undervalued this year because last year he only put up 40 goals. So, you know, obviously everybody knows who he is. They're going to remember he's put up 60 in the past. But if you look at last year's numbers and potential like projections, it doesn't really capture how complete he is. Like he was doing everything last year. He started blocking shots at a crazy rate last year, which is potentially what got him somewhat injured and limited his goal potential. But he was 1.24 blocks per game, about a hit per game. And then he was taking like almost four and a half shots per game. He was, I mean, doing everything. And if he could get that goal production back up, he's a top five player in fantasy. And I actually drafted him fifth overall in our mock draft on Thursday. So I definitely think if you can find him uh, in any sort of value position later in the first round or, or later than that, it's a great pickup. Definitely. So that means you've got Alex Barkov in the five spot. How do you feel about that list you just put together blindly ranking those five fantasy players? I mean, that's a pretty solid, if you had all five of those players, that'd be incredible. Uh, if you had two or th- if you had two of them, it would be great. Um, if you drafted your goalie first, you would be going against what I'm all about. So I wouldn't be on board with that. But everybody else, I mean, I wouldn't pick JT Miller as high as I'd pick Matthews. Um, I wouldn't pick Barkoff in the same class. I think Barkoff is a better actual player than he is a fantasy player. He's still a really good fantasy player, but I think that people mix the the fact that he's so complete two way as a you know a shutdown center and a point producer that they they think he's really good in fantasy and he is good, but he's I don't think he's like a an early second rounder. I think he's more of like a late second early third rounder. So I would have him in the five spot, but that's a pretty good list. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So all of those players, like I mentioned, were draft drafted in the first round of the Boys and Booth Fantasy Hockey League last year. 
20 teams. Uh, I believe Barkov was the latest pick around 17, and uh, Austin Matthews was the earliest pick of that list. And I had JT Miller, and he was my absolute horse last year, so I'm glad you put some respect on his name as well. Dual eligible positionally, so that's something as well. I had him two years ago, and he was phenomenal for me. Like I got him, I think, in the second round, and he was just putting up the numbers in our league because we have hits and shots and face-offs everything and he's dual eligible he was just the goat so i was so sad to see you pick him up last year yeah What's up, guys? Thanks for making it this far into the podcast. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to let you know that we're still doing a limited time merch drop over on boysintheboot.com shop. We're selling t-shirts, long sleeves, hoodies, crew necks, sweatshorts, slides, you name it. We're selling it at boysintheboot.com. So head over there and check it out when you can. Every single purchase allows us to improve the quality of our podcasts going forward. Plus, you get to wear some awesome gear too and support the boys. So we'd really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid IV. Whether you're staying active or nursing a hangover, Liquid IV has you covered. Just one stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone. There's plenty of awesome flavors, but my personal favorite is Lemon Lime. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code BOYS underscore in underscore the underscore booth at checkout. That's 20% off anything in the store when you order using the promo code BOYS underscore in underscore the underscore booth. Experience better hydration today with Liquid IV. This podcast is sponsored by the best ticket app out there, SeatGeek. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, making it quick and easy to get the best deals on tickets to your favorite sporting events. Plus, Boys in the Booth listeners get $20 off their first ticket purchase on SeatGeek with the promo code Boys in the Booth in all caps. So click the link down below to download the app and remember to get your discounted tickets using the code Boys in the Booth in all caps. Get great seats for a fraction of the cost with SeatGeek. Okay, so let's get into uh, uh, the bulk of this episode, what it's going to be about. I want to talk about general drafting strategies first. So you've already mentioned one of your key rules uh, and, and something we talked about on last year's episode as well. Don't draft goalies high. We know that. What are some other general draft strategies you have? Um, maybe taking wingers and defensemen before centers, maybe taking those dual eligible players. Uh, what, what are some of your key strategies to drafting a complete team, Ken? So I've, I laid this out last year in, uh, I think, four separate videos. Basically, the top three were the, the most important ones. Um, the first rule was don't draft a goalie in the first two rounds. I would say in a 12-team league, once you get past the second round in that 23-24 range, you can start targeting a goalie if that's what your priority is. If you really want that G1 that's like Ilya Sorokin or the, the number one guy. Um, but I'll, I wouldn't draft a goalie before that because you're missing out on guys who are so much better than their competition like mcdavid is like half a point per game better than the number four ranked forward whereas goaltending typically changes year over year there's um i did an analysis there were uh top five or top seven lists of the best goalie and goalies in fantasy and there was only three names that were on both lists from last year and this year and that was hellebuck sorokin and shesterkin so if you want one of those guys you get them at the beginning of the third or end of the second round um, but I wouldn't go any earlier than that because you're missing out on a top-tier elite offensive producer. The second rule was to draft two elite power play quarterback defensemen within the first five or six rounds of the draft because what happened to me last year 
Uh, I had a couple of different guys that I drafted, and luckily um, I picked up McAvoy late, who was uh, an injury guy. I had Wierenski, and Wierenski goes down, and now I'm down a guy who was putting up three shots per game. He's a 15 to 20 goal scorer at his best. And if you didn't have that second elite power play quarterback, I would have been you know, struggling to keep up offensively. So you draft the, the one offensive defenseman, hoping that everything works out. You get the, the second power play quarterback offensive defenseman to make sure that you're going to have the offensive categories, which typically carry you in fantasy. And then from there, you can fill in if you want your third defenseman to be another power play quarterback. You can find a, a little bit more risky option later in the draft. If you want a hits and blocks guy, you can find that even deeper in the draft. But you need those two horses that you can count on game in and game out or week in and week out. And then the third rule was essentially um, you want to target goal scoring wingers over point producing centers. You can find a, a center who's a point per game or thereabouts. Maybe he's assist heavy, maybe he's not a huge goal scorer, but you can find that as late as you want, basically. You can even find it on the waiver wire. I know it's kind of nuts, but Dylan Larkin was not drafted last year. I picked him up as, as soon as the draft was over. I threw Pacioretty on IR, picked up Larkin, and he was essentially a point per game center, three shots per game. And you can find those guys, maybe not Larkin this year, but you can find those centers late. And what I found this year, looking at the mock draft that we did on Thursday, is right wingers seem to be a premium this year. It usually was right wingers. It fluctuated last year. There was a couple of different, uh, you know, how many guys are putting up a 40 goal pace right winger versus left winger. Um, this year, it seems to be the right wingers are a little bit more in terms of, you know, goal scoring right wingers. You're going to need to draft them a little bit earlier than you would have potentially thought because it dries up a little bit. Um, and then the guys at the top of the rankings, like Pasternak, there's questions about how he's going to do. He only had 10 points last year without Bergeron in the lineup or without him on his line. So this is going to be an interesting conversation for the guys at the top of the draft, and that's going to drop everybody else down. So you're going to want to grab those, those goal-scoring wingers early. So those were the basic three rules. And the only other thing I'll say is that they've changed the positional eligibility this year, at least right now. So there's a lot fewer guys who are dual eligible. So you have to take you know account of that. And if you were planning on getting a guy like JT Miller used to be three position eligible, I think he's down to two, but even that's, you know, a premium right now when guys are, you know, Dreisaitl used to be center left wing this year, he's just a center. So that's a, you know, a strategy that a lot of people use is trying to find those guys that are dual or three position eligible. That's going to be harder to do this year. Yeah. Another player I noticed who lost his dual eligibility was another one of my horses in, in my leagues, Timo Meyer. He was left wing, right wing on San Jose being a, a versatile guy playing up and down the lineup, you know, penalty kill power play, you name it, he was doing it. Um, but now in New Jersey, he's just playing on one wing. I think it's the right side. So it's important to, I think, have that in the back of your mind. So that's why I sort of wanted to ask you about the dual eligibility players, because I did see some of the updated players, guys who had gained positions. There are far fewer of those uh, and, and players who had lost positions. So I know, obviously, when you're between two players, one is just a center. One is a center right wing, say, for example, you're going to go with the dual eligible player. But how much do you actually value that when it comes to drafting, uh, especially in the mid to late rounds? I mean, one of the things I, I don't look at that as much like if I'm going through the draft and I'm trying to plan, I'm going to notice how many centers I have. If I have two centers, I'm not going to target another center, just like a pure center. If he's dual eligible, maybe I'll go for him. 
Um, but once I get past the sixth round, like this, the top six guys that I draft, those are my horses. Those are the guys that you can't miss on. You don't want to take a risk there. And whether or not they're dual position, it matters in the sense that you want positional flexibility so that you can get guys into your lineup week to week. But once you get past that, I'm looking more for um, you know, either a guy who's elite in one or two categories or a guy who's extremely complete, who's going to give me a little bit of everything. And on, you know, if they also have two, two position, three position eligibility, that helps. But I'm kind of more tracking, like, do I have two left wingers? Do I have two right wingers? If you have, you know, four left wingers and no right wingers, the only option that you have is to trade and you're trading from a position of weakness because everybody knows that you have four left wingers. So I'm trying to go through the draft and, and notice what positions I've got filled. I usually like to go, you know, best player available, maybe a D, maybe a, a winger or whatever, center, whoever it is, maybe get that next D, get a goalie. And then by the, you know, the end of the sixth round, I've got a center, a winger or two, a defenseman or two, a goalie, and then I can start building out from there. And I just try to keep track of which positions I'm filling so that you don't get caught and you're not, you know, if you're trying to look for your first right winger in the 15th round of the draft, you're, you're going to be struggling because there's not going to be a lot left there. But Despite that, there is a lot of depth in this year's draft, so you can find some value. You just have to kind of play it right. And as we do more mock drafts, the the rankings are going to get more accurate, so you'll be able to make better decisions off that. Right, and, and I'm glad you mentioned doing the research and finding some some good value players because that is what I wanted to ask you next. I know that you have the data draft player and goalie hubs where you have all of the relevant statistics that you use compiled into one place. I was hoping you could tell us and the listeners about that and sort of where are your go-to sites to get your data? Yeah, so the the player hub I just updated, uh, I made it the most complete version that we've had so far. So you can search by a player name, it has rankings, you can filter by position, you can filter by team, you can filter by category. If you want to find guys who are a point per game, right wingers, you can filter you know, above one point per game and right wingers and it'll give you a list of guys and it'll give you the ranking. It'll sort them from you know, completeness, you know, high level of completeness to lower. Um, so you can get as granular as you want with this stuff. If you want to find a hits and blocks D, you can look for a guy who's 90th percentile in both and it'll give you a list. Usually it's defensemen for that, you know, for that reason. For the goaltending hub, I've kind of combined uh, a little bit of everything in terms of we're looking at uh, how much the guy starts with a games played percentile, how much he wins. If wins is part of your scoring format for points leagues, you want to know how many you know wins he's going to get or what the, the percentile for wins is going to be. Goals against, save percentage. But then we also have goals saved above expected, which I, uh, you know, a lot of this, um, uh, the advanced stats that I get are from Money Puck. And I just pick and choose one or two here and there to add into what I've already got. Um, the rest of the data I either get from RotoWire or Quant Hockey. Uh, sometimes I look at Hockey Reference for split data. So if you're looking for how guys performed over the last month or in the month of you know whatever October, um, you know Brocktober, Brock Nelson. That was obviously one of the the key highlights for him. Um, but for the goaltending hub, you get the the goals saved above expected for Money Puck, and then the team expected goals against per game to give you a sense of how good the defense is in front of the, the goaltender. So uh, typically, what last year when I was talking about goaltending, you wanted to have a guy who was going to start minimum 50 games, have a 9.15 save percentage, play for a top half defensive team, and that was going to give you a really solid number one goalie. 
and there's not that many of them. So you can now go onto the Goalie Hub and filter by exactly that and find the guys that you're looking for. Maybe if you want a 1A or 1B, you don't have to you know, focus on the games played percentile. You can just focus on save percentage or goal saved above expected. You can get as you know tailored as you want. And then I also added in five-year rating trends to give you a sense of how that guy's performed over time. And one of the cases that that showed up in is one of our deep value plays this year is uh, Jacob Markstrom. Every year, he's either up or down. So it's like one good year, one bad year. One good year last year was bad. So if that trend continues, he's going to be a pretty decent option. And right now, I'm looking at it, he's going uh, 119 overall. So there's plenty of value in terms of goaltending if you can use these tools to your advantage and find exactly what you're looking for. Some of these guys are going really late in the draft. Right. I've owned Markstrom in the past, and let me tell you, it's been an absolute roller coaster of emotions. Whether he's playing playing well or playing poorly, it's just an absolute roller coaster. And then I've also owned Vladar in the past as well to try to, to stack those two because you can't trust Markstrom, it seems. But yeah, this year, uh, that's definitely a guy that I'm looking at, and, and maybe Casey is too. <laughs> yeah. The, the way you've talked about goalies so far on this episode, you fit right in on the Boys in the Booth podcast because we frequent the term goalies are voodoo and um, we never put too much stock in any of them. Yeah. And so I guess as we're talking about building a team through the draft, Kenny, and sort of wrapping up the conversation on that before we get into talking about some of the players uh, that you will be drafting, I just wanted to send it to you one last time. Is there one overarching tip that you think would help anyone listening be a better fantasy manager yes and i actually use this for fantasy football because i'm i'm in the details on hockey and i don't know a lot of what's going on in football so just try to find value so what does that mean it could mean a number of different things but essentially find a guy who's extremely skilled who's undervalued find a guy you know what i have been looking at in terms of hockey is guys that have that name value guys that have that sexy on their file they're you know maybe the guys in buffalo or ottawa this year they're young they're up and coming people want to draft those guys so maybe the tried and true guys like malkin or crosby they're going to be overlooked and you can potentially find some value because they're consistent producers year in and year out and everybody else is looking in another direction so if you can just find value and not look at what everybody else is trying to get um, I'll give you an example. Last year, Mo Sider was getting drafted really high. I think he was a fourth round pick in most drafts. And, you know, for me, the, the value wasn't there because he's a young player. There's not a lot of history on him. He had an extremely good rookie season and he was covering peripherals and he ended up actually holding up a lot of that value. But for the first half of the season, it didn't look good because he wasn't producing offensively especially with young defensemen that can fluctuate. So to get a guy who doesn't have a lot of track record and a lot of name value, that's not necessarily where you're going to want to look. You're going to want the opposite. You're going to want guys that may not have the name value, but actually produce for you on a consistent basis. And that's my, uh, I have a fantasy football draft coming up this Thursday. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to look up a couple of, you know, you know, videos on rookies and guys who are coming in that I don't know anything about. And then just try to find a difference between what people think is going to be, you know, a good player and where, you know, where an actually good player who's going to get disrespected in the draft is going to go. That is so true. I feel like there are so many horses in fantasy hockey who get overlooked because they're not the shiny new toy on the scene. You know, a guy I'm thinking of is like John Carlson or Chris Letang. Both are 
you know, great offensive defensemen who do sort of get overlooked for, you know, some of the up and coming guys like a Mo Sider. So that that really rings true with me. That's uh, something I've been trying to do, though it's not always easy to find value when there are other smart managers in your league. But yeah, that's definitely a good tip and a good way to wrap up the conversation talking about the draft. Now, let's get into talking about some players. This is, this is, I think, the more exciting part of the episode here because my very first question, Kenny, and this is a tough one, so you know, if, if, if it's a little difficult for you to answer, that's okay because I think everybody's trying or having a hard time answering this question, but you, as an experienced fantasy manager, where would you draft Connor Bedard? I, I thought you were going to ask this. I, so I did a video on this in the beginning of the summer, and I went back and looked at the, the previous generational talents, you know, McDavid, Crosby, I forget who else I looked at. It's hard to find data going back to like 2005, but if you look at McDavid, that year, 2015, he was essentially a fifth-round draft pick, and he turned out to be just around a point-per-game player. So he did provide fifth round value and I wouldn't look at Bedard earlier than the fifth round and one of the reasons why is because I told you just a couple minutes ago I don't like to the the first six picks that I make I want to make sure that they're not going to be you know risky I want to make sure that those are the guys that I can count on that are going to carry my team and Bedard there's a lot of question marks in terms of like who's on his line is he going to have anything to work with um, I do think he's going to hold up a little bit of a floor because of his shot volume. He seems like a really high shot volume guy, and that's going to help you in a number of different league formats. He's obviously a goal scorer, so that's going to help. But he's a young player. He's not overly big, so he's not necessarily going to be Austin Matthews coming in, scoring four goals in his first game because he's 6'3", and he can handle all that and everything else. But he's definitely an elite talent. If you're in a dynasty league, he's a first-round, probably top-five pick. If you're in a redraft, I wouldn't start looking at him until after the fifth round. In our mock draft on Thursday, he went around 98, which is probably pretty good value for him because, you know, if you're getting a guy who's got a extremely high ceiling just by all accounts in terms of what he can do skill-wise, and you're getting him that late in the draft, probably, what is that, eighth, ninth round in a 12-team league, that's probably where you'd want to take that risk. Um, I wouldn't go earlier than the fifth. I don't think he's going to last later than the 100th pick or thereabouts because he's got that name value I tend to stay away from rookies this is potentially a different case because he is generational and we haven't had a generational player since McDavid in 2015 so I would say anywhere between 50 and 100 is the the number range of where you'd want to target him but I wouldn't necessarily put all your eggs in that basket if you have I don't know what I guess he's going to be a center It, it depends on if he's getting dual eligibility or not that that could also factor into it but if you have him as a center, I would probably have drafted another center earlier on just in case. But he's, you know, that's a, a discussion because if you're in a, a dynasty league, he's definitely a top five pick because over the next couple of years, he could end up being the next McDavid and, and you get a tremendous value just drafting him there. But in a redraft, it's hard to, to predict what he's going to do rookie season. In that video, if you want to go watch it, it's on my channel. I think I had him projected for just around a point per game, maybe a shade under, maybe a shade over, probably goal heavy, probably shot heavy. So if you're comfortable getting that between 50 and 100, that's probably where he'll end up. Yeah, I would assume that he's going to get dual eligibility just because of, you know, similar to what happens with Jack Hughes, where he plays center, but he's on the wing a lot because you need someone like Eric Howla to step in and take faceoffs for him. I, I'm assuming that's what's going to happen with Bedard as well. I'm glad you brought Bedard up, Chad, because I actually had a lot of questions 
revolving around the Chicago Blackhawks, one player in, in particular, but also just a general question about depth because we're in a league with 20 teams. So we got to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel when it comes to drafting late, late rounds here. So I was wondering what type of weight you put into a contending team depth versus a rebuilding up and coming teams kind of middle to top players so i'm talking a 2c or even uh you know right wing whoever's playing right wing on bedard and hall's line in chicago or a 3c on a team uh like the maple leafs or uh, colorado or vegas or whoever pick pick a top team like what what kind of value or what weight do you put in to the level of the team based off depth. I don't know. I think, and I was just messaging somebody. Um, they commented on my video about this. They were looking for the amount of players on each team that are like, he, he was saying something to the fact of like, if you took the top five goal scorers from each team and then divided that by the number of goals that team scored, you know, what would that give you? And I told him it would give you a sense of how top heavy the team is. So if you're looking at a team like Seattle, a guy like Daniel Sprong was a really good pick last year. He only got like 12 minutes of ice time, but on a per 60 basis, he was one of the top goal scorers in the entire league and put up like 40 or 50 points or something to that effect on the third or fourth line without much power play time. So if you have a team that's scoring by committee like that, there is value in the third and fourth liners. If you have a team like Chicago that's going to be terrible, you don't want to touch their third and fourth liners, but maybe their top two lines are going to get more ice time and more power play time. And just the fact that they're going to, you know, maybe touch the puck on the power play and, and Connor Bedard's going to score, that gives them five or ten more power play points than a third-line guy on a really good team. So it depends on what categories are in your league, what your scoring format is, if you don't have to care about that kind of stuff, if you're just looking for a specific thing. Uh, if you're in a face-off league and you want a face-off guy, you know, there's third and fourth-line centers that can fill that role for you, and you can find them pretty much anywhere. Um, but if you're just, you know, what I have done on the player hub is find a, a measure of completeness so you can kind of compare those guys like this third line center on this team. He's, you know, this complete, like a 64 out of, you know, the highest rated guys, like a 90. So you're looking at, you know, a 12 team league would be fantasy relevant around 70. So he's a little bit under that, but he's still pretty complete, you know, just given what you're looking at versus a guy on a really good team that's not getting a ton of ice time. His value drops because he's not getting a lot of touches on the power play. Um, you know, he's not, maybe he's hitting a little bit, but he's not getting the goal production, things like that. And I try to like level that out in terms of just the scoring format that I'm using. And I'm also currently developing another ranking system. Um, I know a lot of people don't play strict category leagues. This is why I designed this was for a category league. So you'd have a way to compare players that, you know, how else would you compare them numerically? There's no real way unless you're in a point league and they have a point value. So that's why I created the, the rankings on the player hub. But uh, I also understand that people have their own point weighting and I want them to input that on their own and just give them a sense of, you know, positional value. You know, sometimes a, an elite defenseman is more important than a, a center or whatever. Maybe in that case, a third line center on a, a, you know, scoring by committee team becomes a little bit more important than a second line center on a really good team. So I'm working on that right now. But, at, you know, just from what we have available right now on the on the player hub, you can, you know, kind of cross-reference guys that are on those bad teams that are going to get a ton more ice time. And if you need those power play points, 
you got to you know pick a guy like that. You know, Anthony Duclair just went over to the Sharks. He might be a good value pick for for something like that because you're getting a guy who's probably getting power play time. He's a goal scorer, shot volume guy, and you know he's not playing on the Toronto Maple Leafs offense, but he's going to be getting all that ice time. So I think it depends on your league and what your format is. But there's you know there's definitely guys out there to fit whatever you're looking for. You just got to tailor whatever you're looking at. The data, you know, I have the filters on my player hub, so you can use those and find exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, Duclair is a perfect example of the type of player I was thinking of in that question. But the guy specifically I was thinking about on Chicago when Chad brought up Bedard and a guy I want your input on is Taylor Hall. Um, Very sheltered in Boston last year, but looks like he's going to be a top line player playing with Connor Bedard in Chicago. Is he going to kind of turn back into this you know, not quite the same, but the New Jersey Devils, Taylor Hall, where he was the guy, he had to carry a bunch of young players and kind of play the whole role. He, he was power play. He was on the penalty kill often with the Devils and, you know, obviously MVP. I don't think he's going to be MVP, but what type of Taylor Hall are we going to get this season? So I, I remember um, in an interview somewhere, he was talking about that year where he was an MVP and he was mentioning that they designed the whole power play to go through him. And even though he's going to be top power play this year, I think they're going to design the power play to go through Bedard. So, and I don't think Taylor Hall's not a guy who makes his living on the off wing, taking the one timers like Ovechkin or whoever. So I don't know how much they're, I mean, they might use Bedard on his strong side and Hall on his strong side and have them kind of like swoop up in the zone and then, you know, go North South as they're attacking the net. Maybe that could, I mean, he's definitely going to get more power play points than he did last year. I don't think we're going to see him turn back the clock and become an MVP. I just think that he's uh, he's not the goal scorer that he used to be. And he's, you know, last year he was on a record-breaking Boston Bruins team and he didn't manage to do that much. He was 0.6 points per game, 0.26 goals per game, under three shots per game. The power play points were average, not great. And, you know, now he's coming to a place where he's getting more of an opportunity. But again, I, you know... He probably would work better if everything is designed to go through him. And I think it's going to be designed to go through Bedard. So I think he's definitely going to get a bump. Last year on my rankings, he was a 65. The year before that, he was a 71. I could see him going back up into that range where he becomes relevant in a 12-team league. And if you're in a 20-team league, there's absolutely reason to take a shot on him for, for obvious reasons. But I don't necessarily see him turning into the MVP guy again. Fair enough. Sticking with Chicago and going back to Bedard as well, Kenny, if you had to put money on it right now, do you think Bedard outperforms or underperforms his average draft position, at, depending where he goes this year? I, I would take the under just because we saw with Jack Hughes the injury potential. Like not that they're not that he's slight, but he's not huge, and all it takes is one injury to derail him, and his ranking drops below where he was drafted. So. Obviously, guys that have been in the league a little bit longer, they've developed their body a little bit more to handle the stress of an 82-game season. Bedard's played a lot of hockey. There's no doubt that he can handle a long season because he's played, you know, his juniors, his world juniors, etc. But it's just a matter of trying to factor in. If you're taking like a, a like a, a, a betting type of philosophy, you take the under in this case or, you know, going lower than his actual value just because there's so many things that could happen, injury risk or maybe – you know, Chicago is just terrible again, like they were last year, and he can't generate anything because he's got nobody to work with that he finds chemistry with. There's a lot that could go wrong. And 
the the odds of him outproducing where he gets drafted depends on where he's drafted, I guess. Because if he's getting drafted at like 150, then yeah, he could easily you know exceed that. But if he's going where I think he's going to go because of his name value and his hype, I don't think he's going to outproduce that. Yeah, definitely. I think the name value alone, someone in every league is going to take a flyer on him, especially in a keeper league earlier than expected just to hopefully get some value there maybe not even see returns in the first year but do it as a long-term play i could definitely see that Um, but sticking with players that we're talking about here getting out of the draft whether they're going to outperform or or underperform their average draft position i was hoping that you could identify some sleeper picks and some overdraft risks well i got a ton of sleepers because we just did this mock draft and I was amazed how many guys there are still available, 125 and on. Um, Just to name a few, uh, Sam Bennett went at 163. He's a guy, if you're in a hits league, he gets a ton of hits. He gets, you know, some shot volume. He's, he used to be a a pretty decent goal scorer when he first came over. Uh, Matt Barzell's going 164. Um, Nick Suzuki at 150. Boone Jenner, uh, he was he was unranked, and I have him as uh, an extremely complete player. He was the 31st uh, ranked player on my completeness ranking, so he does a little bit of everything. And I think Columbus is going to be a lot more improved than people think just because of the fact that last year there wasn't a lot of chemistry in the top six. Line A was out for different stretches. Speaking of Line A, he's going at 157. So if you want a potential 40-plus goal scorer, you can get him that late. Philip Forsberg's going at 145 right now. Mark Shifley, 144. Cole Caulfield, 143. These are all guys either point-per-game center in Shifley, 50-goal potential in Caulfield. Uh, Forsberg, a couple years ago, the year that he went off, he was the number four ranked player on my rankings. He did everything, hitting, about a hit and a half per game, goal scoring, shot volume, power play, everything. And you can get these guys that late, almost, you know, you're looking at probably the 14th round at that point in a 12-team league. We, You mentioned John Carlson. He's one of my sleeper picks. He's extremely underrated. He was the number 10 ranked player on my rankings in terms of completeness. He's going at 87. Uh, Carter Verhage going at 85. You mentioned Chris Letang. He's going at 118 right now. Uh, Nick Ehlers at 161. These are all guys I'd love to have on my team. And if I can get all of those guys late, it's almost like if if it were possible in your draft, I'd trade a couple of, you know, mid-range draft picks for some more late-round picks just to get these guys because they seem to be falling in the draft. Um, In terms of overdraft risks... It's a little bit more complicated. You have to kind of factor in some stuff and obviously name value is going to be part of that. Um, I did a whole video on that and there's a number of guys that statistically are overdraft risks because they put up an exceptional season last year uh, and maybe you know they can't really follow that up just based on the fact that it's just a regression thing. Maybe it's not a narrative thing. And I think that was the case in a lot of the guys that we covered uh, in that video, but um, it's a couple of those guys like Vince Dunn is one of those guys that I think I had him last year I loved having him and he is a really good defenseman Um, but I mentioned in that video that Seattle was the number two ranked shot uh, percentage team or shooting percentage team if they regress the way that St. Louis did two years ago from the number two spot down to where they were last year then they're gonna you know score a lot fewer goals and their power play wasn't particularly great either even though Vince Dunn was quarterbacking it and he was good on the power play I don't know how much 
they're going to be able to hold that value, especially they lost a couple guys. Uh, Sprong left. He was on PP2. So there's a number of different things that go into that. Jeff Skinner is a guy that I do like for his goal scoring and shot volume. Obviously, he's getting exposure to that top six in Buffalo, but he had a pretty significant deviation. Um, there's a couple of other guys. Uh, Arturi Lekkonen and Val Nichushkin were two guys that were high on that list just because of how exceptional they were last year. For, for a stretch last year, Nachushkin was a top five player in fantasy, and then he got injured. Um, and then Lekkonen filled that role on the power play. And obviously, you're going to want exposure to Colorado players, but some of the just natural regression that would come from how good those guys were, I think you have to bake that in. And, uh, you know, I think the guys are baking that in. Lekkonen was, you know, I think 130 or 140 in the, the ADPs this year. So they're already baking that in. And then the other guy that I wanted to mention was Brandon Montour, who... I believe is going to start the season injured. He was exceptional last year. Um, on my ratings, he was an 83, extremely complete, took over the power play one spot, and that is completely out of his depth in terms of what he's done in the past, and he's starting the season injured. So somebody else, maybe OEL gets that power play time. If that works out, maybe he loses a little bit of power play time. Maybe he doesn't because he's so prolific in it, but there's a lot more risk involved in drafting Montour, and if he goes too high, then that could be a potential uh, you know, situation where you overdraft a guy. Um, but there's, you know, that whole video is there's, I did a top five and then there's a bunch of honorable mentions in there. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, uh, that video came out like a week or two ago, you can go find it on the channel. Yeah. We don't have to worry about Brandon Montour in our draft. I don't think because, uh, I'm fairly certain I'm going to keep him since I got him at, I think in the 16th round of our 20 team league. So burning a 15th round pick to pick up Brandon Montour seems like a no brainer to me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay, Kenny, I wanted to ask about bounce back candidates. Are there any players that had a bit of a tough season last year? I know we kind of touched on this in in, uh, just a few minutes ago, but any players who had a tough season last year who you think are going to be back to their old selves and have a great season? The first player that comes to mind is Jonathan Huberdo. Yeah, that was going to be my first one. Uh, And just to let you know, he's going at 124 right now. So a couple years ago, I used to get him in the fourth round, and he was essentially an you know 1.1, 1.2 point per game guy. Then he goes off for that season where he's 1.45 points per game. They won the President's Trophy, and then he gets drafted as a late first, early second rounder after getting traded, and his value falls off a cliff. He basically cut his production in half last year, so he obviously didn't like playing for Daryl Sutter, and just a new coach coming in a new voice getting a little bit more acclimated there's obvious reason to think that he's going to be productive i believe he went in the seventh round of our mock draft on thursday so he went a little bit you know higher up than this 124 ranking but that's where i'd start targeting him because he is assist heavy he doesn't shoot a lot and there's not a ton of goal potential there but just the raw point numbers if you're getting any kind of point weighting for power play points assists and just overall point production you know, to find a guy like that in the seventh round, I think that there's going to be massive value. And then from an injury standpoint, one of the guys that I was looking at uh, for the last couple of weeks is Philip Forsberg. Again, one of the top players a couple of years ago, and even you know more than that, he's extremely consistent in terms of you know he almost always plays around 65 games, so he's always a little bit injured, so he's never going to be one of those top round draft picks but he's always like healthy enough to do enough for your team. And if he's healthy down the stretch when you're in your fantasy playoffs, that's all you really care about is having that level of production. 
And last year he was injured, didn't necessarily put up the best numbers, but he was still averaging 1.7 hits per game, um, a little bit under a 35 goal pace, uh, over three shots per game, a bunch of power play points. And he just got a better number one center coming in, in Ryan O'Reilly to win some faceoffs, get them the puck on the power play, that type of thing. I don't know if Ryan O'Reilly's going to necessarily be a bounce back, but I like the exposure to Forsberg if you're interested in that. Um, but I would look for guys like that who, and I, I did a whole video just, uh, I think it was two videos ago, on 15 guys that were injury bounce backs that are primed and ready to come back. Evander Kane was on that list. He only played 40 games last season, but when he was on the ice, he was extremely productive. He's a hitter, a shop um, monster in terms of you know over three shots per game. Uh, over two hits per game, if I'm not mistaken. So there's guys like that that people forget about because they were injured and they're going to fall in the draft because of that. And you can pick them up in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. That's where you want to take some risks on guys. I don't like to take risks in the first six rounds, but after that, from six to like 12, that's where I would take all the risks. Maybe find some, you know, your second goalie and your depth defenseman. Um, but that's where you like to find risk. And there's guys that, you know, have that injury risk. That's part of, you know, where you can target those guys is in that range where they have an elite ceiling. Mark Stone comes to mind there. Uh, as far as I know, he's relatively healthy, but he, you know, is again, one back surgery away from hanging him up. So if you want that risk, if you want to take on that risk, he's an elite top three type of player, you know, on your team. But you just have to factor in that he's, you know, potentially one injury away from ending it all. And if you're okay with that risk in the twelfth round, then that's potential value for you. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned risk because that's what my last question that I have for you today revolves around. Um, I know one of your pillars. You've mentioned it a few times already on this show. Is that in the first six rounds you don't take big risks, but. I know you won't be drafting this player, but some team will in every league, whether it's the first round or second round, because there's a ton of risk associated with this player, but he's extremely good when he's healthy. Nikita Kucherov, what are your feelings on that player? Where do you think he will be drafted this year? And if he is healthy, is it worth taking that risk? Yeah, it's absolutely worth it. He's uh, one of, there's not that many guys at the top of their you know their ceiling that are above 1.4 points per game and that's you know Kucherov at his best is above that there's maybe seven guys in the league that can get there right now he's going at around nine which is I think value for him and there is a little bit of injury risk but he's such a prolific guy on the power play nothing has changed on that power play they they move out Kalorn but he wasn't getting a ton of power play time and I'm looking at his ratings right now. He's extremely consistent. So 76, 75, 75, 76. And that's mainly because he doesn't hit or block. So if you don't have those categories, he's extremely consistent in his production. 1.38 points per game last year. Goal production was a little bit down. And I guess that's what you know potentially happened last year. I don't know if he was you know dealing with something during the season or whatever. He was averaging an assist per game, which is kind of incredible. So if you have assist in your point weighting, um, that's an incredible amount of assists per game. 0.61 power play points per game. So that's essentially two power play points every three games. Like that's, you can't get much better than that. He was 100th percentile in both of those categories and he's still averaging 3.3 shots per game. So in terms of all offensive categories, he's still elite. And again, nothing has changed on that power play. It's still you know him, either Hedman or Sergachev, Stamkos on the other side at the top. You're probably going to have Braden Point in the bumper spot, somebody down low. 
maybe Hagel or or you know Janot in the front of you know front of the net trying to screen the goalie or something, and they're still going to have a really good power play. He's still top six, so I don't see any reason other than injury risk. Where so I have this this metric on the player hub. Uh, the percentage of his team's five games over the past five years that he's played in, he's played about 78, which is not the greatest, but it's not horrible. There's a lot of guys that are worse than that, but it's still something to be concerned about. But in my philosophy, I want the best ceiling on my team, hoping that he's ready for fantasy playoffs. And if you have the best guys during your fantasy playoffs, that's what matters. It, you have to get through the season to get there. But if you can manage your team well enough to get through those injuries, and sometimes you find a guy on the waiver wire that you never... I had Vince Dunn came out of an injury last year. Warensky went down. I had to replace him. I get Vince Dunn and I rode him all year. So he was an extremely good replacement. Then, you know, if you get your guy back in the lineup, you'd have to make a difficult decision. But I'd still rather have that than miss out on that ceiling and try to find a guy who's maybe a one point one point per game guy who's never going to hit that. Right. I bring up Kutra because he's the first guy I think of in terms of high risk, high reward players. He's an absolute monster when he's healthy, but he is a bit of a band-aid. So I'm glad that we touched on that. Uh, that's all I had. Case, do you have any, any more questions for Kenny before we wrap up? I have one very specific question, and it's actually advice for me because I was a playoff team last year in our league, so I'm going to have a lower first-round pick. Um, but I do have Pasternak, who went in the second round in our draft, so I would be able to burn my first-round pick to take Pasternak as a keeper. Is that a good idea? I It's... it's- an interesting question because in our mock he went third and I don't think he's going to be a third overall pick this year in terms of what his value is going to hold up to be but if you're picking at the tail end of the first round I do kind of think that he's going to be better than some of the guys that you'd be able to get there Uh, I'm going to dive into this either today or tomorrow because I've been getting a bunch of questions about where to draft him and I wanted to dig into what his production looks like without Krejci and Bergeron. I mentioned that stat only 10 points without Bergeron but I didn't get Krejci's numbers and it's hard to find that kind of data but he has been the guy that's been driving that line. It hasn't been Marchand. It hasn't been Bergeron. It's been him. Ever since he came into the league, those two guys' production has increased. So he could potentially drive his own line. And if they're going to put him back with Marchand and maybe put Zaka on the first line, he's got familiarity with both of those guys. It may not be as much of a drop-off as some people are thinking, but you know, I think it would be a little bit of a question at you know the third overall pick. But if you're at the back end of the first round, then that might be the the play to make because I don't know what the keepers list is going to look like for your league in a 20 team league, but maybe a guy that would be, you know, the 24th or fifth ranked guy is not going to hold up as much as Pasternak. And that's pretty much where I got Pasternak last year. I got him at like 24 and he was incredible value there. So if that's going to be the case again, he might not put up the numbers he put up last year, but I still think of him as, you know, 1.2 to 1.3 points per game. Maybe not a 60 goal scorer, maybe a 45 to 50 goal scorer, but you know, where else are you going to find that in the draft, especially at right wing where it seems to be a little bit more of a scarce position finding those goal scoring right wingers. Okay. I needed that. I I, I was fairly certain I was going to, you know, burn that first round pick on him, but I just needed that reassurance. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll do that and I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll let you know. (laughs) 
There we go. I think that's a great point to end it as well before Casey gets any more tips and tricks from Kenny <laughs> here. So uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to episode 179 of the Boys in the Booth podcast. I want to thank Kenny from Data Draft for joining us. Make sure you go to Data Draft on YouTube and check out all of his videos, not just to prepare you for the fantasy hockey draft that you uh, evidently have upcoming, but also throughout the year because he posts videos uh, for weekly pickups and, and things of that nature. So once again, thank you so much for listening and uh, take care. This has been another episode of Boys in the Booth with Harper Cody, Chad Melbourne, and Casey Abrams. Connect with the Boys in the Booth on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Boys in the Booth. Visit boysinthebooth.com for show details. And don't forget, you can become a patron of the podcast for just $1 a month at patreon.com slash boysinthebooth.